Hey everybody, this is Alex Merced and welcome to another episode of Gnarly Data Waves and we have an exciting one today. Um, basically today we're going to be talking about how NetApp is redefining the customer experience with product analytics. It's going to be an exciting story and you're going to want to be there for the whole thing because it's so, so good. Um, but before we do that, you know, obligatory announcements that I need to make. And one of those announcements is, of course, uh, you know, the best way to understand what the Dremio Lakehouse platform can offer you is to get hands on with it. And there are many ways to get started and you can get started for free, whether it is through a self-managed deployment, okay, with many options to deploy through Docker, Azure, AWS, Google Platform, Kubernetes, and more, or whether you're using a cloud-managed uh, instance of Dremio using Dremio Cloud. And then again, even before you create your Dremio Cloud account, you can use our test drive feature to get hands-on to kind of see what the experience would be like. But to try any of these things, again, for free, head over to dremio.com slash get started. So that way you can kind of get started on your Dremio journey today and seeing the value that it can bring. Also, just a reminder, uh, me and Depankar Mazumdar will be at Data Day Texas in January to do an Apache Iceberg Ask Me Anything over there at Data Day Texas in uh, basically leading up to the release of the book that we've been writing here at Dremio, The Apache Iceberg, The Definitive Guide, which will be published by O'Reilly, Exciting Times. Again, you can get yourself an early access copy by scanning that QR code right there. So uh, right now, I think the, the, the current version of the early release is like 180 pages plus. So lots of great content on Apache Iceberg. Um, getting We're getting close to wrapping it up. It's pretty exciting. Um, but of course, also make sure to visit Dremio at any of the following events, whether it's Coalesce by uh, DBT, which I think is this coming week, uh, Data Lakehouse uh, Meetup in London we're going to be having over there on October 17th. If you're going to be at AWS reInvent, visit us at our table there. If you're at Microsoft Azure and AI Conference over there in Orlando, December 5th and 7th, uh, my my uh, neighborhood of the world, um, that you can know, visit the Dremio table, get some swag, and uh, you know ask some questions. Where we always love to hear about sort of your experiences with with your current infrastructure. And that's to kind of, you know, get to know you. So come pay us a visit. And also make sure to visit the Dremio blog at dremio.com slash blog to find all sorts of articles on all sorts of great topics on um, the Data Lakehouse and Data Lakehouse adjacent technologies. So make sure to check that out. And of course, here at Gnarly Data Waves, which you can subscribe to on iTunes and Spotify so that we can listen to previous episodes if you want. Um, we have other great episodes coming up in the coming weeks, such as building a data science platform on Apache, Iceberg, and Nessie, and how to build an Iceberg data lake house with five trans and Dremio. So keep coming in every Tuesday at the same bad time, same bad place. But with no further ado, time for our feature presentation, which is an exciting one about how NetApp is redefining the customer experience with product analytics. Joining us today will be Aaron Sims, technical director over there at NetApp, and Tony Truong, senior product marketing manager here at Dremio. But with no further ado, Aaron, Tony, the stage is yours. Thank you, Alex. Hey, everyone. Good day. Thank you for joining us today. Um, my name is Tony. I lead solutions marketing here at Dremio. And today I have a special guest, Aaron Sims. Uh, if you're joining us here today, you're probably interested in how they are redefining their customer experience with product analytics. And Aaron's going to share a little bit more about how they started from Cloudera, on-prem, and have modernized to Dremio's data lakehouse. Uh, so with that being said, Aaron, I'll let you go ahead and kick off the show and do your thing. All right, great. Thank you for that. Um, so uh, again, you know, Aaron Sims, I'm the technical director at NetApp. I've been uh, in the industry, uh, you know, either through systems engineering or, you know, uh, you know, more, more recently with the, uh, you know, the data uh, processing uh, platform that we have inside of, of uh, ActiveIQ. 
I'm the chief architect for Night of Act IQ. We, you know, we're, you know, we take in product telemetry and you'll know, uh, you know, have an analytics platform. And Dremio is a big piece of that. Uh, and I'll talk to you about that. Um, and, you know, in addition to our processing platform, our, you know, we, we have a number of different databases, uh, a couple of different API platforms, as well as uh, you know, several uh, front ends as well. Um, so a little bit about NetApp. Uh, you know, we've been around for about 30 plus years. Uh, you know, initially started out as a uh, NAS company um, and, you know, eventually became a NAS and SAN company. And, you know, we've since br uh, branched out into uh, what we call the hybrid multi-cloud. So uh, you can have your products in the cloud, you know, you can use our products in the cloud, you can use them on-prem, uh, have them all work together uh, seamlessly such in, and move your data where you need it and have it close to what, you know, the, the area that you're supposed to have it in. Um, we're definitely a, a leader in the all flash storage array uh, business. And, you know, we, uh, as I mentioned before, our OS is actually available natively in uh, Amazon and Azure and uh, Google uh, GCP as well. So a little bit about ActiveIQ. Um, ActiveIQ is, is, you know, as I mentioned, it's our predictive, uh, you, know, uh, you know, platform that where we can do a lot of, of uh, you know, Machine learning and AI on, on the telemetry. Uh, we get, you know, have hundreds of thousands of products in the field. Uh, some of them are, you know, based on our our flagship product called Data on Tap. Uh, we also have a number of other uh, products. Uh, so uh, some direct attach types of products like E Series. We also have object storage uh, in our storage grid, and we also have a number of, as I mentioned before, uh, a number of these things also or you can run in the cloud. Um, the Telemetry is all based on what we call auto support, and as the name implies, auto support was originally intended for our, you know, to use that telemetry for support purposes. Um, you know, as you know, uh, when customers would call in, we'd have at least some idea of what's going on in, inside their environment. Uh, we do things with that telemetry like automatic case creation, uh, but we also do a lot of analytics on that data. So, out of the ten trillion data points a month we get, uh, we we process a lot of the data, and, and about uh, you know, a lot of that data winds up in our data lake for. Uh, other purposes, you know, such as you know, uh, you know, looking for sales uh, potentials, um, you know, cross-sell, upsell types of, of activities. Um, our product teams use the analytics to understand how our customers are using the products, uh, and then, you know, as I mentioned before, we still have you know, a lot of work that we do around uh, the, the support side of the application. So a lot of this is internally facing uh, that I talked about, but we also have a lot of externally facing uh, pieces to this as well. We have. Uh, the Active IQ Digital Advisor, uh, which is our uh, you know customer-facing website, uh, we have a mobile app, and we also have customer-facing APIs as well. Um, so when we uh, you know as I mentioned before, you know when we first started bringing you know this telemetry data in, um, you know we just use it for a support use case, but eventually we started finding all these other use cases, and uh, what we wound up building was a Hadoop uh, you know uh, uh, infrastructure, mainly started with MapReduce. Uh, and this was probably close to 10 years ago now that we started building this. And, you know, we, we kind of started small and it just kind of kind of kept growing. And one of the, you know, uh, challenges, you know, we, we, you know, while this was great, we were actually able to work with a much larger data set than we were used to with, you know, before everything was, you know, uh, flat files and, you know, some, some, you know, ETLs that would transform some of this and put it into, into Oracle. Now we're able to work on a much, much larger data set. Uh, than we were before. So the cool thing was, you know, hey, we, we could we could do this, but the downside was it was really really slow. And as as our uh, Hadoop infrastructure kept growing, you know, we found you know we had a lot of other challenges as well. So 
Um, the, one of the biggest ones was that uh, the amount of storage we needed was the thing that was growing more than the amount of compute that we needed. And you know, the downside of the architecture we had was that the compute was directly attached to the storage. And so if I needed more storage, I had, you know, I couldn't add more storage to the to the servers we had. So we wound up having to grow horizontally. And and so uh, every time I would, uh, you know, need to grow st storage, I would wind up adding more compute that I really didn't need. And that, you know, not only did I have to pay for those servers, but, um, you know, the Cloudora licensing also increased along, you know, kind of linearly with that. Um, I mentioned before that, you know, hey, we're, we're able to do those this, but, you know, you know, performance was not very good, right? So, um, you know, our average query was somewhere in, in the range of about 45 minutes to do most of our queries. Um, you know, on the operational front, um, you know, Hadoop and Hive and, and those kinds of things have some, uh, you know, uh, you know, the the resource controls are, are not very, you know, they're kind of coarse grain. And it was, you know, we, we found that, you know, some people would misconfigure Spark jobs and could easily, you know, consume all the resources in the cluster and starve out other tasks, including things like Hive queries. And that was actually, you know, Hive queries were probably the, the bulk of, of the, the uh, you know, what people were doing with, within our Hadoop cluster. Um, you know, infrastructure upgrades were also a painful process for us as well from an operational perspective. Um, you know, in fact, upgrading, you know, uh, CDH or CDP was really just a nightmare for us. And so we wound up not doing it very often. And, you know, it's just because it was such a pain. And, you know, so we tended to put those off as, as long as possible. And this usually made us wind up at the tail end of their support uh, matrix as well. So on the on the uh, storage uh, side, you know, the, uh, you know, using HDFS, you know, large block sizes, uh, you, know, uh, you know, replication factors, uh, you know, tended to make that very inefficient for us. Um, and we initially started out with a replication factor of three, thinking, hey, this is going to be great. We, 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 you know, our, our data is very safe with this. And it was, it was fine. Uh, but, you know, that that had a, a very uh, heavy cost that goes went with it. So eventually we got more comfortable with it. And we, you know, as, as storage needs, you know, uh, increased, you know, one of the ways that we tried to delay buying more storage was to uh, start to, uh, you know, drop our, our replication factor down to two. And again, that was fine. Never really had any issues with that. But again, still, it's a full copy of the data. And when you know, from a, you know, being a data storage company, you know, we we tend to look at storage efficiency with the, you know, um, you know, being a, a an important thing for us. So, and then finally, on the data governance side, um, you know, one of the things that you know initially, you know, our data lake was very open. You know, it wasn't really a big deal back then. Um, but as more uh, controls started coming into place with respect to CII uh, or customer co company identifiable information, personally identifiable information, those kinds of things. You know, we started needing to put these controls in place that would, um, you know, restrict that access. And, and, and so, um, you know, but you know, Hadoop was not you know a good platform. You know, we'd have to go buy some more software in order to lay those those appropriate controls into place. So, you know, kind of a, a, an idea of what our, our infrastructure looked like before uh, we put Dremio in. The uh, product telemetry uh, would come in uh, from all our products, you know, you know around the clock. Uh, to get the data into our Hadoop environment, we had some Kafka streaming, some uh, Apache Flume, uh, and a couple other things that would uh, deposit the data into uh, our data lake. And then... As I mentioned before, we wound up with about 30. So these uh, 
this we have the concept of a mini cluster. So we have one storage array and four servers directly attached to it. So we wound up with about 33 of these things at one point. You know, that totaled out to be about 4,000 cores and about seven petabytes of disk on the floor. So, you know, when we, you know, in fact, you know, about the time that we uh, you know, had a kind of a scheduled purchase uh, being planned and, and made, it's about the time that we started really kind of, you know, uh, looking at, you know, is this really the best way for us to do this? So um, with that, we started looking at, at alternatives. We uh, uh, wanted to definitely wanted to decouple our compute and storage, right? So, you know, the compute costs were, you know, out of out of whack with what we needed to do. So, um, you know, in order to make this more efficient, we decided to, you know, that th this was going to be the the, the biggest factor in in our uh, growth or in, in, our, in our changeover to, to this. Um, since we have just recently purchased some new servers, you know, because we always kind of had a, a pipeline of servers, you know, that would be older uh, and we would rotate them out. We were always kind of buying new to refresh and then sometimes new to expand. Um, so we had a, an existing compute investment uh, that was still had, you know, several years of, of uh, support left in them. We wanted to make sure, you know, we, we certainly wanted to prefer to, to keep that uh, and, you know, so to, to minimize the, uh, the cost here. And you know, along those same lines, the uh, data pipelines that we uh, had, you know, we really didn't want to have to change a lot of that. And so some of the the other vendors that we considered along the way would would have required a very, very drastic change to how we process our data. And that was, you know, going to add to the time and the expense of all of this. Um, the other big th factor for us was, you know, that that 45 minute query time, we really needed to get that to come down. And so um, that was that was going to be a, another big factor for us. Um, as I mentioned before, the uh, on the data management side, you know, we really just needed those those fine grain controls that would allow us to, um, uh, you know, give people access to the data they're supposed to have access to access to and, and whatnot. Uh, and then you know, also at the storage layer, how how to manage that data. And I'll talk a little bit about uh, you, know, you know what features we're using in the uh, storage layer as well. Uh, as I mentioned before, better resource management, be able to, to you know, uh, give the, you know, carve out chunks of, of compute for, you know, groups in a, in a more dedicated manner, make sure that, that people can't starve other people out kind of thing. So that was another big thing. And we also started to have, you know, the requirements around from a disaster recovery standpoint. And so with that, um, we, you know, as I mentioned before, we, we wound up looking at probably about three or four different vendors. Uh, Dremio made the shortlist from the standpoint of, you know, the the strength of the portfolio, um, you know, the the uh, you know the open standards around the uh, Lakehouse Query Engine, uh, the semantic layer. You know, I, I I looked at that and said, you know, even though this is, you know, uh, we're evaluating this specifically for, you know, replacement of our Hadoop infrastructure, uh, the semantic layer actually had some very interesting. Uh, secondary use cases that, uh, you know, I, I was looking at say, hey, you know what, this, this might solve some other problems for me down the road, but we're going to initially focus on replacing, you know, Hive. Uh, and then, you know, uh, the thing that really just blew us out of the water was performance. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about the, the results of that, but, you know, we we kind of, kind of, you know, when we first did our, our uh, POC with this, put some data in it, we're all kind of, you know, when we started running some of these initial queries, we're kind of looking at each other going, how, how did this get so much faster. And, you know, especially with the, you know, the less compute that we uh, had in our POC environment. So um, 
this is what our architecture looked like afterwards. So, you know, you know even though the telemetry data is not is still not uh, is still coming in here, um, you know, we're we're feeding the the data uh, directly into uh, S3. So as the data gets processed, we're uh, uh, store that data into uh, Parquet format. Uh, as I mentioned before, one of our products is Storage Grid. So Storage Grid is our object data platform. Uh, so it's S3 compliant, uh, which is which is great because Dremio obviously supports that. So um, we, you know, as the data, the telemetry data comes in, we write directly to Parquet uh, files or objects in the uh, uh, in our uh, storage grid. So there's you know dedicated buckets for uh, each of the tenants and that kind of thing. And uh, so you know we have our, our product telemetry you know, in groups of different tables. We have about 8,900 tables. So it's, it's bordering on 9,000 now. Um, and so, you know, all of this, the Dremio environment was actually uh, put on top of Kubernetes. So our old Hadoop environment was bare metal. Uh, bare metal was really kind of painful for us to manage, uh, especially when it came to things like patching and that kind of stuff. Um, so we decided that we really wanted to uh, containerize all of this. Uh, so all of our uh, Dremio environment, including all these supporting uh, services like uh uh, Prometheus, uh, there's a Postgres database in there as well. You know, all the things that kind of, you know, do all that, all that's containerized, all that runs in, in our uh, Dremio uh, Kubernetes cluster. So we wound up uh, buying about 16 executor licenses uh, for this. And uh, so th these, you know, multiple of those executors run on, on uh, different nodes underneath the cover. So, um, and I'll talk a little bit about the savings from a compute perspective when uh, in just a little bit. But um, the other uh, the other aspect is that you know the amount of disk that I needed on the floor also shrank quite a bit. And I'll talk a little bit about the uh, the benefits of the uh, uh, you know the, using Storage Grid as as the back end. So a lot of our migration was uh, you know really about uh, getting this Dremio put into our existing data flows. So um, we, we, when we initially uh, built this, um, we basically started put Dremio after the data flow, flowed into Hive. So we're basically every day copying data out of, of Hive into Dremio uh, since the, uh, the formats are, are compatible uh, with each other. And uh, so as, as we're uh, doing this, this, this gives us data that we can actually bring to our users and say, all right, let's, Talk to each user group of users that we have. Look at the queries that they're doing. Uh, you know, prepare basically for the migration. So, how how are we going to migrate their existing queries into uh, the Dremio environment? Um, and as as we're doing that uh, that that uh, prep for the mi migration, everything. You know, we're also working on uh, you know bifurcating the data from you know our existing data flows instead of writing to Hive and then to Dremio. Uh, we want to write to Dremio uh, directly as well. So we're getting that, all that stabilized. And, you know, basically at, at a certain point we said, all right, this is, um, you know, we're, we're, we've, we felt we're production ready. We had a lot of, of user groups that were, uh, you know, we'd, we'd already uh, figured out their query transformations and everything. So it would, at a certain point we said, all right, we're, we're production ready. Uh, and we started migrating users over to, that and and basically you know it was kind of scheduled so said hey you know this group do it on the you know since you're ready you know this is your week to do it and basically we're able to migrate 130 or, or so users in about two months and that that honestly when we set out to do all this 
we didn't think the migration was going to go that smooth. And we were, we were actually, that was the thing that we were most scared about. So, um, you know, that actually the, the migration itself turned into be, and you know, much, much faster than we ever anticipated it to being, um, you know, once, once, once we found how easy this was to uh, cut over. So um, we did want to talk a little bit about storage grid. So as I mentioned, storage grid is uh, the NetApp uh, object uh, product uh, and, um, Storage Grid has some really cool data management features. So, um, information lifecycle information lifecycle management is, is our, we have a series of ILM policies that we can apply to the data that sits on our our storage. So, um, one of the as I mentioned before, um, you know, with HDFS, you know, you're you're doing uh, direct replication. So, if I write a you know a block out, you know, it's written twice on on the two different nodes. With uh, Storage Grid, it works kind of the same way. You can you can do exactly that. You can uh, write out a file and say, all right, you know, this, this, or write out a, an object and that object will be put onto, uh, you know, as many nodes as you say, uh, you know, initially. So if your replication factor is three, you know, you write out your object and it's going to be, you know, duplicated or triplicated uh, across nodes within that cluster. So um, one of the cool things about our island policy is that we have something called erasure coding. And this actually takes an object if you think about like a RAID array where you have redundant disks and you calculate parity in order to uh, protect that data, uh, erasure coding is a kind of the same same kind of thing. So, in our the storage grid that we built was actually um, seven nodes, and you know we so we set up what's called a four plus two erasure coding policy. So when a uh, object is winds up winds up being written to uh, the the grid um, or the bucket, I should say. Um, that object gets broken up into four chunks. So let's just say it's um, 40 uh, gigabytes in size. It'll be broken up into four 10 gigabyte chunks. And then you will have a uh, parity calculated and two more uh, parity chunks are written to other nodes. So with this, my, you know, instead of a replication factor of two, my overhead is 100%. Uh, with this, my, my overhead is only 50%. So I get better storage efficiency for this. The other aspect of this is since my chunk, my, my object is chunked up into pieces, uh, when I go and ask for that object from the grid, it actually serves all that data in parallel uh, and hands it back to me. So I actually get better performance out of that as well. Um, the island policy also makes it really easy for us to do disaster recovery. And I'll, I'll touch on that in just a little bit. And then finally, um, you know, with the island policy, I can also set uh, you know, a policy where you know, the older data. So you know, let's say I only want to keep two years of data in my data lake. I can uh, tell it, say, right, when this object reaches, you know, two years, it automatically removes that from the uh, storage. So I don't have to write external scripts to go manage all this data. The policy uh, takes care of all that for me. Um, as I mentioned, uh, we do have a, uh, a disaster recovery uh, setup uh, going on with this. So uh, in my primary data center, I have seven uh, nodes within the site. Uh, and with storage grid, you can create multiple sites within your grid. So um, if I uh, write objects out to the site here in, in my primary data center, the ILM policy also allows me to replicate that data uh, and those objects into the site in my secondary data center. And so, uh, you know, basically I'm, I'm always up to date as, you know, as I write data here, it automatically gets replicated there. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm basically, you know, always, always in sync. So. Uh, you know, with, with maybe just a, a few minutes of lag, perhaps. Um, our, so what our disaster recovery plan is, since all my 
Dremio infrastructure is running on Kubernetes. It's all set up with Helm charts and everything like that. Um, I have, you know, my sub prod infrastructure uh, that sits in the uh, you know, secondary data center. And so, you know, our goal here is that when, if, if we declare a disaster, all of my data is already there. Uh, it's all accessible through the same addresses effectively, um, since the load balancers also share the same name. Uh, so all I really have to do is just, you know, run my home charts, you know, spin this up in, uh, you know, my Kubernetes cluster in the secondary site with the production config, and I'm done. So uh, the the the, uh, the the process of doing this is is really really straightforward. In fact, it's this is so much easier than the process I have to do for all of the rest of my infrastructure. This is, you know, by far and away the the easiest DR process I have with within uh, within our environment. Um, so you know, what were the outcomes for us, right? So I mentioned er early on that we you know we had uh, you know, 130 plus servers, and you know, we had 4,000 cores. Um, after I cut, you know, you know, all this down, you know, I wound up with a, you know more than a 60% you know, reduction in compute. And you know, the, as I mentioned before, we were kind of shocked that we, you know, I can take away that many cores out of out of the environment, and you know, wind up with you know what turns out to be about 10 to 20 times the performance. So that 45 minutes, uh, you know, for the average query time. Uh, our largest queries average today about two and a half minutes. So, you know, big, big and a lot of our smaller queries are actually get, get measured in seconds. Um, our overall uh, TCO savings, you know, we, we saved about 30% overall. So obviously, you know, less compute, less data center space, less storage. Um, and this will actually uh, play out uh, well for us. We were able to take some of that old compute and dedicate it to other purposes. So, you know, we didn't have to go buy, buy other stuff. And I mentioned earlier that we migrated about 130 users. Well, we've actually gotten a lot more users since then because this is this becomes a much easier um, uh, you know, platform to use. Uh, the the you know, you know, data catalog is there. It's easy to discover the data. It's easy to go query it. You know, we've got a, a web interface that makes it really straightforward. And as soon as they want to get serious about it, they can start using some things like uh, Aeroflight or whatever. So, um, you know, the uh, this was this was a huge uh, you know bonus for us. Um, so what's interesting was, you know, as I mentioned, we we were really interested in uh, doing this as a, um, uh, you know, as a as a complete replacement for our Hive infrastructure. Now, what turned into, you know, you know, we started thinking about other use cases for Dremio, right? So there, there's you know, a lot more capabilities there than, than we're actually using. Um, one of the the interesting things that we actually wound up doing, we did a POC around this, was you know, in our uh, data stacks environment, we actually keep, you know, or I should say, we used to keep seven years of data in our data stacks environment. And, you know, this, this you know, has, you know, it is a pretty big environment. There's like 24 servers, 27 servers, something along those lines. And uh, so uh, we decided that, you know, that was just too big and nobody really ever goes and accesses that, that, that older data. So uh, we decided to tier the data. So um, that data that, you know, we, we shrunk that data stacks cluster down kept only keeping only two years of data, you know, calling that hot, uh, even though that, you know, I think we could have been more aggressive with that. Um, and then basically years two through seven wound up uh, going into Dremio. And we changed our APIs such that, you know, when you pass in your, uh, your date, uh, you know, range or whatever, it knows how to go, uh, you know, re either read from data stacks directly or read from Dremio. The cool thing was that our data stacks queries got to be a lot faster and shrinking our data set like that. Uh, even with fewer servers, we actually, you know, almost cut our server count in half with our data stacks cluster. 
and the, the queries for the older data into Dremio actually were reasonably performant, uh, you know, compared to, you know, uh, you know, what they used to be in, in data stacks. So, um, you know, all in all, this, this was a, a big win for us. So we, we actually sped some things up, you know, started, you know, treating, uh, you know, using, using, you know, Dremio as, as a, a, a secondary use case. Um, we're actually doing a POC on this right now, uh, which is to, you know, as I mentioned before, we have a lot of ETLs. We 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 carve up data, join data, whatever, make copies of it uh, for specific use cases. Um, you know that that has challenges from a data integrity standpoint. Um, so what we're experimenting with right now is can we use Dremio to effectively uh, be the query access layer for all of our our databases and and not make so many copies of it, but you know to basically do our ETLs on the fly as we need to, and and so. That's the uh, that's the current experiment we're doing, but that's um, uh, you know you know we're, we're we're actively trying to find other ways to make our lives simpler, and Dremio's being a big part of that. And with that, I will say, uh, thank you. Alrighty, thank you, Aaron. And folks, if you guys have any questions, please feel free to drop them in the chat below, and then we'll take them during the Q and A session. Yeah, um, so we got, oh, go for it. Sorry. Yeah, so I, I think I have one good question we could probably start with. <clears throat> so there seems to be a lot of folks that are, you know, seemingly breaking into the data lake house paradigm shift. Uh, so a question for you, Aaron, like, what is one thing that you could demystify for those that are looking to modernize to the data lake house on a, on a journey similar to you? Yeah, so, um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I uh, you know, as we started looking into this was, hey, this is going to be a really big effort. And, you know, once we got through it or even even got halfway into it, we're kind of going, this is a lot easier than we thought it was. So, um, you know, any trepidation that we had before, you know, melted pretty quickly once we started playing with the product. And so, um, you know, I, I really wouldn't change anything except for that. I, I wish we'd started earlier on this. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. I, I think that's like a really good thing to call out is just. Just starting on the journey. Yep. Let's see if we have awesome. any other questions. I have a question. Um, like you mentioned how sort of like the you had a huge increase in sort of the number of users uh that that started using the platform once it was created. Um, you know, like sort of like how did the interest kind of generate? Was it like sort of like a word of mouth or was there something some sort of um uh catalyst for that? Um, I think I think largely it was word of mouth, and you, um, I, you, we never really um, did a lot of heavy marketing of this uh, internally or anything like that. This was uh, a lot of, uh, you know, getting our users to migrate over. Uh, I think they started having better experiences with it. Um, you know, the the overhead in in terms of uh, you know the, the the knowledge ramp up that you have to do in order to uh, to to start to access it was considerably lower that you know the, the bar to get into our old Hadoop environment was actually pretty big um I, in fact I remember the first time I ever got access to it um I was actually in a different uh, org and you know try to get to it I was like man this is a pain and you know with this the that, that bar is a lot lower so I, I think uh naturally you know other people that, that hadn't already climbed that 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 hill before you know are kind of looking around it's like well this is a lot easier now and you know as you know, when somebody else asks ask them to say hey you know what I got this question how you know how do how can I go answer it they go all right go here and do this and and you know the 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 demonstration of how to get that is a is a much easier prospect for them to 
you know, so the data, you know, in my mind, the data is a lot more accessible and therefore people, you know, uh, jump on and try it out and go, oh, this is, is easy. And so they, they keep using it. Awesome. And then um, one of the questions like you were talking about earlier about sort of like the changing sort of like having to put more controls in because, you know, basically originally everything was kind of open and then requirements for like CII, PII and whatnot. How has that part of the experience been since introducing Dremio um, on that end? So we, we um, uh, one of the things that we had had, had to do was to segregate data uh, before um, into different pools. Uh, we also had to uh, encrypt a lot of fields, uh, to, you know, and you know those things would land encrypted in, in our day. Like um, we are in the process of kind of switching over to to actually start to use some of those those controls better, um, and. You know, not only that, but as I mentioned, the the whole uh, thing I was talking about earlier, where you know, can can we do ETLs on the fly with with all of this? Uh, we, we definitely intend to hook that into our back systems. Uh, so we're, I'd say our journey on that front's not quite complete yet, but we are uh, we're definitely heading that way. That's awesome. Again, if anyone has any questions, there's a Q and A box and a chat box. Any question in either will. Uh, oh, here we go. Accessibility, ease of query authoring, speed of execution, less time waiting, more time being data-driven. I think that was... I'm not yeah, sure so was. actually, one of the, um, the less time waiting is actually an interesting uh, part of this for us. So, you know, I, as I mentioned before, you know, average query time being about 45 minutes, um, just query development was a painful kind of thing, right? So if you're dedicated to this for, you know, all day, you know, best case scenario, you're going to get, you know, eight or 10 queries done a day. Uh, you know, and, you know, sometimes it's, it's very, in a very iterative thing where you'll get, you know, into your query and find that, that, that you know, something broke or whatever you, you and so um, having, you know, a shorter, you know, uh, or I should say better performance allowed, you know, people who are developing queries to iterate much, much more quickly. And so I think that's you know, part of the, the boon in this is that, we, that we're, you know, allowing users to, you know, be more productive when they, when they use this, even, even from a development standpoint. That's awesome. I always, I always, I always love hearing that because, it, um, I do find like I know when I'm on the Dremio panel, like just like oftentimes query authoring is like very a very pleasant experience. To be able to just like look up a function if I need to or whatnot. So yeah, I'm and actually, I'll say one. You know, at least from my my point of view and 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 me using uh, Dremio, um, having just the the ability to do a query preview is is a huge thing. You know, it it makes it so much easier for me to to you know not return all the, the whole data set, but I can get kind of get a, you know, a, a short preview and, and those are even faster. So, you know, that, that has been, you know, another big part of this for, for us, at least for, for me that, you know, in my experience of using this as well. Nice. And there was yeah. a quick question about whether the video will be posted online. So just a quick answer to that. Um, basically th this always gets posted within 24 hours on YouTube. So by, by tomorrow morning, and then we'll also be posted on iTunes and Spotify within 48 hours. Aaron, I have a question for you um, regarding self-service. So that's like a lot of the conversations that we are hearing come up is how do we get data faster to our users and enable them to access it, you know, in a way that's like that so that they don't have to go to the central IT team. Um, what has your experience been like using Dremio, uh, enabling that for the end users? Like, are they... Are they are they filing less tickets with central IT? Or are they able to go in and explore? Can you talk about that process? Yeah, so um, you know, uh, the uh, you know, access issues, query issues, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. I'll, you know, by and large, that's mostly gone away. 
um, you know, what we're generally left with is, um, you know, hey, this data didn't necessarily arrive. That that that's more that's outside the control of this. This is that that's down on my data pipeline, uh, and you know, issues that I have around that. Uh, so, um, you know, most of the time now it's it's uh, you know, a ticket to get initial access and you know understand what the role is, and then uh, you know, giving them access. But you know, once they're in it, you know, very rarely do we get questions. Uh, you know, that you know, certainly not the type that that raise tickets. Um, and that kind of thing. So overall, I mean, you know, once, once the user gets access and, you know, we've got some, some tutorials that they can go through to kind of get, get their feet wet with it and everything, you know, they're you know, off to the races. So, um, you know, overall we're, we're, you know, we, we don't get a lot of, uh, you know, our, our, I should say our incident count is, is a lot less than it used to be. Got it. Yeah. That's usually like one of the 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 intangible benefits of you know making self-service bi easier because unlocks the productivity on central it and on the business side um so i'm glad that worked up with you guys and then uh one final question for me um you were talking about how okay in your next effort is the idea is to kind of replace like a lot of these pipelines and using sort of like the etl on the fly uh with dremio uh on the based on the query basically when you get there so what are the kind of the pain points that currently exist in sort of having all these pipelines uh that you're hoping to sort of like alleviate once that's implemented so you know as i mentioned before you know we're making copies of data uh, or slices of data that, that get copied into a use case specific database uh or collection or, or table or whatever um keeping those all in sync so if, if you know if something changes uh, it may take uh, hours for that to percolate through through our pipelines. So um, when when that happens, um, you know, you know, we we often are chasing like like why is this data different here than it is over there? Um, is it was was the pipeline broken? Was it the fact that hey, you know, the it just hasn't worked its way through you know this one branch or whatever? Um, you know, I think the uh, the goal with with that that concept is that I now have instead of having lots of copies of my data, um, I now have uh, you know single you know single source of truth for any one type of data and you know uh so um, i don't have to worry about you know what's the lineage of the services that that you know that got data into this this one destination or whatever because often it goes through you know probably five or six different uh services before it even lands in its, in its, in its final destination today um you know so my you know, my pipeline short shortened considerably i have you know obviously a lot less services to, to uh, go and manage um, governance becomes easy because, and and not only that, but governance and RBAC become a lot easier for me because you know I'm just creating virtual data sets to uh, to do those joins for me on the fly, and you know I can put my controls there. Governance around you know uh, who has access to what and that kind of thing becomes a lot easier. I don't have to uh, deal with RBAC necessarily at each individual database. I can now do it all in one spot. Spot. So that's awesome. Yeah, it, it's 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 a theory. We're we're going to see how how well you know you know. Functionally, if it, if it's going to do what we want, uh, and then we'll scale it up and see if it performs too. Awesome. Okay, I'm, I'm I really look forward to this, hearing how that goes. Um, let me let's see if there's any other questions. I think that is all the questions we have for today. Um, but I want to say, Aaron, Tony, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been absolutely fascinating. Um, and definitely, there's, there's definitely going to be all sorts of thoughts that are going to be percolating in my mind for the days to come and. Well, keeping me up at night thinking like that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we definitely look forward to maybe following up as we see where some of these efforts go and how they end up. Um, and uh, yeah, just want to say thank you to both of you. All right. 
Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Aaron, for sharing your journey.